Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles and open them to Romans chapter 8, verse 18, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Our Suffering Now Can't Be Compared to the Glory Then. And because it hurts so much, and things can be so hard in the midst of trial and pain, there is that thought throughout the church today, among believers, there's even a stream of false teaching within the church today that goes something like this. We're Christians. We shouldn't have to suffer. Jesus took all the suffering that would ever need to be taken on my behalf, so we shouldn't have to suffer. We live in the United States of America. We have given up all to follow Jesus. So therefore, along the way, we should be immune to suffering. And some of that is indeed true. We do live in an incredible time in history, a time of great prosperity and joy, a time in the United States of America of time of comfort and ease to some degree. We're seeing the gospel go forth with power and effectiveness in ways never seen before. But no matter how good it might be, no matter how far along we may find ourselves, there's something that is important to understand, and that is this. We all suffer. There isn't anyone listening to my voice followers of God or even haters of God, doesn't matter where you are in life, we all suffer, believer and unbeliever alike. I would even say especially the believer suffers, as the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus taught us in John chapter 16, verse 33, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You and I are gonna suffer in this world. Pain and problems will follow us. Trials and troubles will be ours. Sometimes it will be our own fault and failures that bring pain upon us. At other times, it will be the fault and failure of others. Even some, it's a combination of the two. But know this, The root of all suffering is sin and its effects on the world. The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is always death in one form or another. And yet Paul reminds us today in Romans chapter 8 verse 18, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not to be worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul reminds us today that our sufferings are only temporary. They don't follow us into eternity. That it won't last forever. For the believer in Jesus Christ, your suffering will come to an end. Anybody want to amen on that? It's not going to go into eternity. You're not taking a baggage of difficulties into heaven. When you wake up in the presence of God, every wrong will be made right. Every injustice will be brought about with perfect justice. 
All the questions that you have today that cause you great turmoil and difficulty, all your questions, not just some of them, will be answered by a holy, righteous, loving God. It's true. Paul says, I consider. The word literally means, if you'd like to write in your Bibles, to calculate. It means to reason. Paul says, I've thought about this a lot. I've considered it. I've studied it. This is a calculated statement from Paul's heart to ours when it comes to our present suffering, the sufferings of this present time. What you and I are going through right now is not worthy to be compared to what's up ahead. The problem, of course, is that we live in time. We're alive now. We are waiting for the kingdom that will come. And while we wait, we often wait in pain. Some of you have horrific difficulties in your body. Some of you experience great pain in your mind. Some of you hurting emotionally, spiritually, physically. Paul would say this to us. I understand the value of sufferings in this present time and they just don't compare to what's up ahead. That word suffering in verse 18, the sufferings, is actually a word that's used to describe the very sufferings of Christ. Walking and sharing in that suffering. It's at this point where many that are going through deep pain would say perhaps to me, Ed, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what I'm going through. What have you been through? Or you might even apply that to, to the Bible and say, what is Paul, who is this guy Paul, and what kind of credentials does he have to talk to me about my pain? What is it about this man that he has any kind of voice in my life to be able to speak about what I'm going through presently? Well, we do know that those that have gone through things before us do have a greater voice in our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible teaches us that we receive in our pain and suffering the comfort of God. Why? So that through the comfort that we receive from God, we then can come alongside someone else and comfort them and point them in the right direction in their lives. So in order for Paul to really have validity, he would have to go through a few things. So what exactly did he go through? Let me show you. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me show you a few things that Paul records for us that he's gone through. Now, of course, any of the writers of the Bible have the absolute authority of God as he inspires them to write exactly what he wanted reserved. But if you do have a little skepticism today and your pain is so hard and so deep that you're resistant to receive, I understand. And I don't stand in judgment upon you. It's a normal response. But I want you to know that Paul has the credentials. He knows of what he speaks. I think we can safely say that Paul has experienced so much more than we probably will ever experience in our lifetime. And he, get, he begins to give us a partial list here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. He writes to the church in Corinth, from the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. That means five times he was beaten 39 times. Three times 
I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in toil, sleeplessness often, hunger and thirst, fastings often, cold, nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak? Verse 29. And I'm not weak. Who's made to stumble? And I don't burn with indignation. If I must boast, I'm going to boast in the things which concern my weaknesses. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. Turn over to chapter 4, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Once again, he shares things from his own personal experience. He says in verse 8, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul gives us insight to the difficulties of his life. Here's a man who dedicated most of his adult life to preaching the gospel, to loving people, to planting churches. You could say that he literally, in the time that he lived, reached thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people with the love and the mercy and the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You could say he was surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of people that loved him and served alongside of him. To a letter he wrote to the church in Rome, to the Romans, he mentions names in chapter 16. He goes through a whole list of names, and as he wrote that letter, he had never even been to Rome yet. He knew so many people and served so many people and affected so many people's lives. But fast forward to the last few days before he dies. Where do we find Paul? Surrounded with many? No. Friends with notes and cards sent to him? No. He's alone. Some say in a jail cell, some say in house arrest, but he's in custody, awaiting the final judgment on his life, awaiting death, alone, cold. Because as he's writing, he says, would you please bring my cloak and a few books? And he begins to describe how people have forsaken him and left him, and he This mighty hero of the faith, this mighty man of God dies alone. The brother went through it. And he has, both inspired by God, and he has the credentials of his own personal life when he says, listen guys, I don't consider the sufferings of this present time to be compared to what's up ahead. Of what God has waiting for us. Of the joy that's going to be when you meet Jesus face to face of the love that you're going to experience in its fullness. It doesn't compare. 
He's not only suffering physically, but he's suffering emotionally. He's not only suffering emotionally, but he's suffering spiritually. On top of that, he's suffering interrelationally because the very people in the church in Corinth, when he's writing this, the very people in the church in Corinth had turned on him, as did many people taking advantage of him over the years. And yet the brother's faith stayed strong. And he wants us to understand the big picture or the right perspective I mean, a brief survey through the book of Acts would show us what our brother went through. In Damascus, the Jewish council wants to kill him, so they throw him over the wall in a basket to save his life. In Antioch, he had the influential Jews of the city kick him out of town. In Jerusalem, the first time, the church leaders attacked the gospel of grace and don't want anything to do with him. In Lystra, he was stoned so bad that they thought he was dead, but he got up and went back in to share the gospel. In Philippi, He was beaten senseless and thrown into jail to be broken out by an earthquake. In Athens, they mocked him as a fool, this learned, studied man. In Corinth, he was forced out of town. In Ephesus, a riot erupted as the maker of idols were upset with him and they chased him out trying to kill him. In Jerusalem, another time, he finally arrives to be arrested and eventually martyred there. This earthen vessel known as Paul, was broken so that the light of the gospel could clearly shine through and above him. I'm humbled when I consider the price that our brother Paul paid to be a minister of the gospel. Over the years, they've written books on martyrs. A martyr is someone that has given up their life for the sake of the gospel. Today in in the Sudan, we support a ministry where they have, they have chaplains that are constantly going out and ministering the gospel. And at least once a month, my pastor friend texts me, we lost another one, losing his life for the sake of the gospel. There's the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs, that chronicles the first century martyrs, both the apostles and many that followed after him. Another series of, a book, of books is known as Jesus Freaks. These are books that I used to use when I was discipling my kids when they were young. We would read one every night to be reminded of how the saints around the world are facing great difficulty and great hardship, even to the point of death for the sake of the gospel. And it humbles me each time I read of a new story. Or consider this one. It's the story is told of Pastor Floresu. He lived in the time of communism, and the communist torturers came to Pastor Florisu again, this time with red-hot iron pokers. Who else believes as you do? Give us their names. But the pastor would not speak. They had already cut him again and again with knives and beaten him very badly. When he refused to cooperate, he was returned to his cell. In his cell, starving rats were driven in through a large pipe. And therefore, he couldn't sleep having to defend himself at all times. If he rested for but a moment, the rats would attack him. And still he remained silent. Toward the end, they brought in his 14-year-old son and began to whip the boy in front of his father, saying they would beat him until the pastor told them what they wanted to know. And it drove the poor pastor half crazy. He bore it as long as he could. But when he could stand it no more, he cried out to his son, Alexander, Alexander, I must say what they want. I can't bear your beatings anymore. 
And his son answered, Father, do not do me the injustice of having a traitor as my parent. Withstand. If they kill me, I will die with the words, Jesus and my fatherland. And the communists became so enraged that they killed the young man in front of his dad for his unswerving faith in Jesus Christ. It's the reality of life. Difficulties of all sorts will come against us. In Acts chapter 14, verse 22, it says that we must, through many tribulations, enter into the kingdom of God. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. And in Romans chapter 8, we learn that the sufferings that we go through cannot be compared to what is still up ahead in the glory that awaits us. Understanding the true spiritual perspective of our trials is very important. It is not a wise thing for us to compare our trials with one another. Because whether you consider a particular trial a huge one and another trial a little one, it has the same effect on the person going through it. And so you might look at a person and maybe look down on them when they're going through something. You go, oh, I can't believe it's affecting them so much because if it happened to me, I could easily get through that. Or you can't look at someone else and say, man, I don't know if I could ever endure what they're enduring. Either one is a very simple response to pain because the person going through what they're going through is suffering and experiencing difficulty. And the best response to suffering is mercy and compassion. Is coming alongside someone and encouraging them in the Lord. Praying with them. Reminding them of the big perspective. You remember the time when Elisha and his servant were surrounded by an army. The king of Syria, this is Second Kings chapter 6, the king of Syria was sending out his army to do battle with Israel, but was being defeated each time. And he asked, what's going on? Why are we being defeated? What kind of military intelligence do they have? And one of his servants said, it's not military intelligence. There's a guy in Israel that is so close to God that he can hear and know even what you say in secret in your bedroom. Well, this infuriated the king. And he sent armies to surround two men Whole armies to surround two men. In the morning, Elisha's servant, he goes out and he sees the army surrounding him and he freaks out just like you would. They're like, what's going on? We're going to die. We're surrounded by armies. We're done. It's over. And Elisha's response, the prophet Elisha, his response was to pray. And what did he pray? God, open the eyes of my servant that he can see into the spiritual realm greater than what he sees into the physical realm. That's a paraphrase. And so what happens when Elisha prays, his servant's eyes are open and he sees that the armies of Syria are surrounded by spiritual chariots of horses sent by God. The mountain that says in verse, chapter 6, verse 17 is full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And in just the next verse, victory was given to Elisha and his servant, and they were left untouched even though they were surrounded by the armies. Where, what do we learn here? That with the right perspective, confidence can be restored. 
with the right perspective, endurance can happen. You can get through another day. Now, I realize some listening into me right now, you're thinking, another day, Ed, I need the strength to get through another hour. Listen, with the right perspective and the power of God, you can get through another hour and another hour. And pretty soon you'll start counting the hours and hours will become days. And days will become weeks. Weeks will become months. And before you know it, you'll find the presence and power of God a great comfort in your time of need. It's when we realize and believe the sufferings that we're going through are now nothing to be compared to the eternal glory that we're going to have eternity before us as children of God that we begin to learn that there's real purpose in our pain and training in our trials. There's so much more than meets the eye. Our lives are so short, just a vapor. I mean, think of, think of the vapor on a hot, on a very cold day and a hot cup of tea or a hot cup of coffee and it's sitting there and the vapor comes up and it's gone and the vapor comes up and it's gone. And if you let it sit long enough, five, 10 minutes, no more vapor. It's that fast. Our lives, the Bible says, are like a shadow, a vapor. And yet it's preparation time for eternity. Eternity is so much longer than our lives here on earth. And so we go through sufferings, what Paul would call in another place light afflictions, and they're working for us an eternal exceeding weight of glory. We need to get that eternal perspective. We need to hold that eternal perspective so that whenever we're reproached or made fun of or face any trial, it reminds us of the glory up ahead. I think if we were to have the privilege of asking the heroes of the faith, men and women have gone before us and suffered greatly, that are in the presence of God right now, if we had a chance to ask them, you know what they would say? It's worth it. It's worth it. Hang on. Hang on. You're going to make it through. And when you make it through and you wake up, in the, it's worth it. It's true. It's real. And we need to hear that sometimes, don't we? It's true. It's real. With all the fog and all the difficulty, the glory of God is true. He, he is real. And he loves you. Let me show you some of the things that the early church went through. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 11. If the heroes of the faith would hear this Bible study, I'm sure they would say it's true. Believe him. Believe him. It's even better than what he says. It's even better than English can describe. Don't compare your suffering today with the glory because the glory ahead is so much greater where every wrong will be made right. Every injustice will be, bring justice. Notice in verse 32 of Hebrews 11, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had the trial of mockings, scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment, and they were stoned and sawn in two were tempted and slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Notice verse 38. 
of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us that we should not be made perfect apart from us. Those brothers and sisters are in glory right now, experiencing what they waited, what they were waiting for. But here's the thing. For the follower of Jesus Christ, there is both hope and help for your troubled heart. You know that God is with you, and as we'll see in the future study, working all things together for good. He's comforting you. He's encouraging you. He's promised and has kept his promise never to leave you, forsake you, or abandon you. But I do know there are those listening right now that are very mad at God, very hardened. You might even describe yourself as an atheist or an agnostic. And you're battling in your mind right now with any sort of resistance, with every sort of resistance to not receive the Bible study that's being delivered today. You're you're resistant. You're mad. You're mad at God because of the pain. That's what pain has done to you. Pain has made you angry. That's often the first step, anger. You're mad. And a convenient And a convenient person to blame is God. So you either say, I don't know him, or I don't like him, or I don't even think he exists. I don't believe in God. I don't want anything to do with God because of what I've experienced in life. And anger will often lead to bitterness. And you've become bitter toward God. You've become bitter toward things of God. You've become bitter to the way you were raised. Why? Because of pain. Because of difficulty. Why? Because we all face pain and difficulty. And when you go from anger to bitterness, the next step is resentment. And all of these, they they work together to harden your heart, to deaden your emotions, to, well, by your own choice, walk away from God and explain Him away. Here's the bad news for someone like you today. And by the way, if I am speaking to you, to my atheist friend, to my agnostic friend, to my friend, even if we haven't met yet, that's mad at God and angry at God, I don't judge you for that. Jesus doesn't condemn you from having to deal with the difficulty in your life and you've come to this response. It's not a good response. It's not helpful or healthy for you, but we don't judge you for it. We're sorry. I'm sorry that you are facing the kind of pain that you're facing, that you were hurt as a child or abandoned. It's not God's heart for us to have to face all these nasty effects of sin, but nevertheless, it's a part of life on earth because as real as God is, there's a real devil. And I don't judge you, but I do need to let you know that If you continue living this life of ignoring and refusing God and his love for you, this is the best you're ever going to experience. This is it. As bad as things are right now, things will not get better for you. 
So you can amass as much money as you want, and you can buy as many cars as you want, and you can get that house and that dream vacation over here, and all of the things that you're using to try to cope with the pain and the difficulty, but none of those things will satisfy the longing in your heart to be comforted by the comfort can only come from God. And so this is, this, is the, this is the reality. Listen, this is the reality. This is as best and as good as it's ever going to get in your life. After death, it's far worse to live forever apart from God. This is it. This is, this is it. You don't want to settle for the low living of pain and difficulty, excluding God from your life. You don't. God, he cares so much for you. The Bible describes it, that care is love. He loves you so much that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to bear the weight of pain upon himself in exchange for you. But if you're here today and you have been born again, you have life in you, very, the very life of God dwelling in you, then there's good news for you. Because while the bad news for those that don't love God is this as good as it's gonna get, for those of us that do love God, this is as bad as it's going to get. It's not going to get any worse than this. This is it. Because God will ultimately deliver us from every pain, every difficulty, every trial, every suffering, every problem, everything that you face today, God will deliver you. And check this out. At the very end, he'll even wipe away your tears. (laughs) Just take it all away. Why? Because of faith in Jesus. Listen, there's no hope apart from Christ. And whatever the reason might be, whatever the reason might be, some of our sufferings are mysteries. We don't have the full answer. The pain, the loneliness, the affliction for the believer has purpose, for the unbeliever has no purpose. Christian, you have great hope. Hope that your afflictions will end hope that God is working in you to bring about great changes, hope that your suffering will add to your eternal glory. Suffering, I know all of us would like to avoid it, but we can't and we won't. We won't avoid it. Until we're delivered from this body of death, suffering will be part of our lives, and yet the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared. You know, when I was born again, when I got saved, when I walked into a church like this, by the time I was 23, I I had ruined my life. And it appeared from all observations that it was ruined beyond repair. And I was just hanging on to see how long it would take before Marie to leave me, to take our son, how long it would take for me to get caught doing something stupid and being thrown in jail for a lot longer than a few days. And, and, and I couldn't get out of the addictions. I couldn't get out of the life that I was in. I mean, I was all the way in a life uh, that was destroying me while I thought I was having fun killing myself. That was my life. It was messed up. It was beyond repair. Human repair, it was beyond. And I walked into a church like this where the gospel was preached and the love of God was in. It was about the third time I heard, I'm like, I just don't think God can love me. I don't think that's true. And I measured it by the church. You know, you have that time of greeting and, and so you'd shake a hand and, and I'd shake a hand and then they'd try to hug me and I'd go, bro, no, I don't want to be hugged. You know, I don't know what kind of church this is, but I don't hug. I hug now, but I didn't hug back then. I just thought it was weird. I didn't understand the love of God. And I remember thinking, if if this guy sitting next to me really knew who I was, he wouldn't like me. If he really knew what was in my mind right now, he wouldn't hug me. If he really knew what I did last week, there's just no way. 
I was always afraid of being found out. I mean, even after I got saved, I was afraid of being found out. My past was so horrific. And, and it was when, when I embraced the love of God and I responded to the invitation and I was born again, when I was saved, I looked forward to good things. I mean, I only, it was only going to go uphill for me now. It was only going to be good now. Like, God's going to start changing my life. He's got a plan for my life. He, he's got the strength to give. He's going to make me the kind of man he wants me to be, the kind of husband he wants me to be, kind of dad he wants me to be, a son, everything in life. I mean, to me, it was like nobody told me it was going to be that hard. As far as I was concerned, my past was hard. Living for Jesus, in my mind, and it wasn't by neglect. It's not like they hid it from me. It just took time for someone to say, oh, by the way, Ed, living for Jesus Christ is hard. And it's difficult. And it's not going to be easy. Now you have a real enemy, the devil. And he's not happy that life is changing for you. And that another family's rescued. And that a son is going to have a dad. And a wife is going to have a husband. And, and little did we know of the magnitude of what God would want to do through our little lives. And as God uses you more, there's more warfare. And as your kids grow up, there's more warfare. And as the temptation has increased, there's more warfare. There's more pushback. You see, for Paul, Paul was told ahead of time when he was on his way to Damascus to destroy Christianity single-handedly, God met him there, knocked him off his animal. He's born again right there on the road. They take him into the city. He's partially blind. Sent a messenger to him. And the messenger was told to tell him, you tell Paul of all the things he's going to suffer for my namesake. So I have the privilege of doing that to you now, in case you didn't know. As a believer, in many ways, your suffering will be far worse than the unbeliever because of your commitment to Jesus Christ. But either way, whatever we face, it's not to be compared to the glory that's up ahead. Not to be compared to what God has in store for us. Let me close here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you turn there with me. 2 Corinthians. Paul tells, tells us that trials made him more effective, not less. They made his ministry more fruitful and exciting, not less. They they made him more powerful, not less. They they made him stronger and more committed, not less. And so what does he say in verse 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 4? He says, therefore we do not lose heart, even though the outward man is perishing. Anybody agree with that? I'm telling you, man, every time I get up in the morning and I start to walk down our stairs... There are, I feel like my ankles are going to just fall apart from all the noises that they're making. Now, most of the time I don't pay attention to it, but because this is in the message, I actually, even this morning, I even tried to walk down softly, and all that happened was it, the cracks were softer. That's it. Our bodies are outwardly, we're getting weaker and weaker. Yes, I'm going to say it. Outwardly, we're getting older and older pain seemed to increase. Sicknesses seemed to increase. But the Bible says, even though outwardly what we can see is getting older and perishing, 
All the while, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Why? Because trials push you to God. Trials draw you to God. You pray more. You seek more. You knock more. You ask more as you're undergoing the great difficulties of life. Pain has a purpose. Ask any surgeon. Pain has a purpose. I mean, when we get sick, we go to the doctor. And we allow doctors to probe and to look and to, that we allow them to check on us, to give us the test that we need so that they can come up with the diagnosis. And when the doctor comes in with the diagnosis, they also come in with the solution and they say this, this is going to be, in order to take care of this difficulty, I'm going to need to give you, I'm, I'm going to need to cut open your body and take care of this and then sew you back up. And our answer to that is, okay, doctor, if that's what's needed. And what we just said was, yes, please inflict upon my body pain temporarily to deal with something more permanently. And isn't it true that some surgeries are different than others? They've perfected some surgeries with lasers and robots and everything where they can go in, take care of it all, and then you're up on your feet within a day. Other types of surgeries, they go in, they have to do this, they have to take this on, move this, and... And then the recovery, well, it might land you in rehab. And they need to rehabilitate you again, teach you how to walk, get strength back in your legs. Either way, we've allowed the temporary pain to provide for us more long-term benefit. The outward man is perishing. The inward man is being renewed day by day. And then he says in verse 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, notice, is working for us. Mark that. The light afflictions of our lives are working for us, not against us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It requires endurance. Jesus Christ has defeated our worst enemy. You know, our worst enemy is sin and death. And Jesus Christ, through his resurrection, defeated both sin and death on your behalf. We live in the victory of him. Now, one commentator, David Guzik, and a pastor friend of mine, this is what he writes on this passage, and I love it. Let me quote him. Yes, our affliction is light. Our affliction is light compared to what others are suffering. Our affliction is light compared to what we deserve. Our affliction is light compared to what Jesus suffered for us. Our affliction is light compared to the blessings we enjoy. Our affliction is light as we experience the sustaining power of God's grace. Our affliction is light when we see the glory that it's leading to, and we can really say with Paul, our light affliction. Our light affliction. And what God is building in us is endurance to take the next breath, to make the next step. Listen, if you turn in the midst of your pain to alcohol to mask the feelings, they'll be back and they'll be back harder. If you turn to some kind of drug, legal or not, to try to mask the work that God is trying to do in your life, it'll come back more, more difficult. Usually when you're seeking things outside of God to deal with the pain in your life, that too usually comes with its own consequences. So you're building on. It gets harder and harder and harder instead of just surrendering and submitting to the perfect work of God through this particular trial and this particular pain. God is teaching us endurance and obedience. So Father, we turn our hearts and attention towards you as we could say, 
so much more on this topic, but rather let your Holy Spirit minister to our hearts. And I do pray for those that are hurting and struggling and fighting and wrestling. And I'm reminded of what your Bible says. You tell us that you have compassion on us. You know that we're just human. And it's so hard. Whatever it is, the bankruptcy, the foreclosure, the divorce, the prodigal son, the job loss, the words that we say, the physical pain, the afflictions, the cancer, the wheelchair, the miscarriage. It's all hard. It's all difficult, God. Would you show mercy on us as we live out this life sort of limping along at times, God? Would you pour into us your victory and your strength? Would you fill us, God, afresh, those of us that love you with a a, a fresh dose, you know, a filling of your Holy Spirit in our lives? I pray for those that are under the influence of alcohol, Lord, because the pain's so hard, that you'd deliver them. I pray for the one that's smoking pot because it numbs their mind and they don't have to deal with reality, God, that you would deliver them. I pray for the one that's going to the doctor and getting the prescriptions and self-medicating themselves to try to numb the pain. I pray for the one that is going from relationship to relationship. I pray for the one that's anxious and worried. I pray for the one that's running away from you. I pray for the one that's crying themselves to sleep at night. I pray, God, for the one that isn't in the midst of a big trial right now. Would you prepare them? So that when, when it is and whatever it might be, Lord, they would not be so overwhelmed or shocked. Don't consider it strange. God, would you have mercy on us that we might enter into the lives of those in our community, those that we work with, those that we have friends in another church, or we have friends on, on the end of the block, or the one that's in the cubicle, or you know, on that delivery route. I always see that one guy. And Lord, would you make us and move us to be the church. So much pain and hurting. Praise God that the radio reached Frank, but how many more Franks are hiding behind their doors and they're not coming out? God, would you arrange those perfect divine appointments? Because they go to work and would just, just open doors for us, Lord. We die to ourselves. Even in our own pain, Lord, make us usable. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, today's a day that uh, God has got your attention and today's a day that God invites you to embrace and receive his love. The Bible says that he loved you so much that he proved it to you and me so that the greatest, the greatest difficulty in our life, sin, would be the greatest act of God. Our greatest need would be God's greatest deed. And I recognize we're a little over time, but I need to invite you.
And so if that's you today, would you respond to the invitation to follow Jesus? Would you respond just by standing to your feet that today would be the day that enough is enough? The Bible says if you turn away from your sins, that's a, if you repent and you believe, you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, God, will, God, God raised Jesus from the dead, that God is alive right now. I know it's a lot to take in. And I know it's a lot to understand. But I'm grateful that God doesn't require us to understand everything in order to be saved. He just asks us to come. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.